the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. God equips who he calls, but you got to stay humble. Humility works both ways. You can't use your own inability as an excuse because you'll never have what it takes to succeed. You're right. You don't ever have what it takes to succeed, but God is the one who equips you. Second, you and I think we do have what it takes. We've ceased to be his servant and we are building our own kingdom. Hello and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. I'm your host, Nate Elliott, as we join senior pastor Will Ramirez in the book of Exodus. In Exodus chapter 3, we saw that God appeared to Moses in a burning bush. But God wanted Moses to go and set free the children of Israel who had been enslaved by Egypt for hundreds of years. The task was daunting, but God is a God of the miraculous. The only thing that could stand in Moses' way was Moses himself. At this thought, we join Pastor Will in Exodus chapter 4, verse 1. We saw that Moses, after 40 years in the desert, he travels, which was probably common for him, up to the Sinai area, and there we see something that catches his attention. God reaches out to Moses by stirring his curiosity through the burning bush. And then as Moses turns aside to see the burning bush, God speaks to him personally. But as Moses approached too easily, God gave him a revelation of his holiness. So take the sandals off your feet, for the ground whereon you stand is holy. But then, as as Moses did respond correctly and humbled himself, God followed it by revealing his love for his people and for Moses and his plan for his people and for Moses. This blew Moses away. I mean, to the point where he goes, you've got the wrong guy, God. I mean, you're 40 years late. I'm not the guy. And so God reminds Moses, I'm not sending you to Egypt alone. I'm going to go with you. But Moses confesses his ignorance of what even that means. I don't really know you very well, Lord. And so God revealed his name and the specifics of his plan. Now, you get to chapter 4. That should have been the end of the conversation. If you're Moses, what more do you need to hear? You know, the, the God Almighty who is love and light is going with you and will bring you back to this place with all of Israel behind you. Good plan, right? But you know, <laughs> the truth is this. Moses just didn't want to go. And every excuse that Moses can come up with actually masks that real problem. He's simply unwilling to go. The same reason we often give excuses to God when he calls us to do something to him. I don't want to do this, Lord. It's too hard, or I'll fail, or, or I don't know what to do, or I won't do a good job. It comes down to an unwillingness, and God is looking to change that. So as we look at chapter 4, the first 17 verses this evening, let's look at see as God begins to take him on this journey. So chapter 4, verse 1. And Moses answered, God has just told him in verse 18, he says, and they shall hearken to your voice, the leaders of Israel, the people of Israel. So Moses answers and says, but behold, they will not. You say they'll listen to me, but behold, they will not believe me, nor hearken unto my voice. For they will say, the Lord has not appeared unto you. Moses is going to give three excuses in these 17 verses. The first one is very simple. You're wrong, Lord. (laughs) They won't listen to me. 
Moses contradicts God. And you can tell that right away because it starts off with the all-time contradicting word. And Moses answered and said, but. (laughs) Any phrase, any communication with God that starts with but is probably not good, okay? Any response to God's word that starts with the word but indicates a heart that isn't in the right place. And he says to him, but behold. The word there means look or see or Surely, you know, check this out. You know, Moses is saying, hold the phone, God. I don't think you've thought this through. You say they'll listen to me, but I guarantee you they won't. This is a little heavy, unless we get angry or frustrated with Moses for suggesting such a blasphemous idea that God was wrong or he didn't really know the situation. Have you or I ever done the same thing? God's prodding you to share the gospel with a coworker, and you say, now? Now is not the right time, God. <laughs> or he prompts you to start that family Bible reading time on a certain date. We're going to start on this date, guys. And then you come home that day and you see all the kids grumpy and tired. And the Holy Spirit is saying, it's okay, go for it, start it. But you hem and you haw and you tell God another day would work better. We do the same thing. Lord, it's not the right time. We do this more often than we realize, which is why I believe God includes this private conversation in his word. Moses is the author, right? If I were Moses, I'd have certainly parlayed to leave out these whiny parts. I'm like, so, you know, I know you want me to write all this down, but like we can leave out that whole burning bush moment or at least all my parts because that was not my shining moment. But God, I think, asked Moses to include it. I want you to share this with everyone because we often do the same thing. Let me ask you a question. Just start us off this this evening. Is there an area of your life where you've been saying, but fill in the blank, God? Because if there is, it's time to stop. Moses' claim is they won't believe me. They'll they'll think I'm lying. They, They won't hearken to my voice for they will say the Lord has not appeared unto you. They'll think I'm lying. And you know, when God taps us for a task, it can be tempting to think of how others will receive it or how the reaction will be. You know, and if we dwell on it long enough, we will find plenty of reasons why they won't, why it won't go well, why it won't succeed, why people won't listen. But how about this thought? Why do we act like we have such a better awareness of the obstacles than God does? But we do. Not only was God aware, he'd already had a plan to deal with them. Verse 2, and the Lord said unto him, what is that in your hand? And he said, a rod. The rod was the shepherd's crook. You're familiar with it. You know, the, the crook is common among the Arabs, about three to six feet in length. The shepherd would often use it to, he would lay it on the sheep to let them know that he was there and they were safe. He would also tap them with it to let them know that they were heading into danger. Or if they got into trouble, he could pull the sheep out with the crook. Shepherd carried the crook and the rod. The rod, of course, was to beat off the wolves. The crook was to comfort and minister to the sheep. And when I look at Moses's hand, I mean, this is God Almighty. And he says to you, what is that in your hand? That's a question you probably want to think about answering. I don't know. It's my shepherd's rod. I mean, my livelihood, it's what I do. It's everything I've been doing for the last 40 years. But Moses, could his response have been any blander? If he'd said it's just a stupid shepherd's staff, it wouldn't have been much different. A rod? You see, Moses was under the impression that God was asking him to start this work from ground zero. But God points out that there's been something in his hand Something he'd been using for many years that God had been shaping through that, shaping Moses for this moment. Something God would continue to use in an even greater way in the future. Do you realize that Moses learned more about leadership in the 40 years of taking care of sheep than he ever had in Egypt's courts? Consider this. Sheep are considered dumb compared to other animals. They're considered some of the least intelligent animals. Their brain size compared to their size as a creature is one of the smallest ever. One shepherd put it this way. The only thing they know how to do well is eat grass. Oh, and make more sheep that eat grass. 
(laughs) Sheep are irrational, restless, and unpredictable. Not a good combo when it comes to decision-making time. They're likely to bolt right into trouble as much as bolt away from it. They're some of the slowest animals to learn, even when the lessons have painful results. They're also demanding and stubborn. One shepherd said it'd be easier to move an elephant than a sheep. And yet, they're also one of few animals that cannot survive on their own. They need a shepherd to survive. Now, that's not very encouraging when God compares us to sheep. (laughs) But you know what? After 40 years of that, Moses had learned a ton about servant leadership. He'd learned a ton about dealing with stubborn things, stubborn creatures, about creatures that don't always make the best decision, creatures that can be irrational, restless, and unpredictable. He had learned how to be a servant. And that's the only kind of leadership style that pleases God. Moses, when you look at him, he had two completely divergent but equally wrong concepts of leadership in his life. The first one, of course, when he was Egypt, I'm the man. I lead the charge and people follow. But when that didn't work, he turned to his current philosophy. I can't be the man. I have no resources at all for the task. And so God starts from the very beginning and he enlightens him as to the true nature of his staff. Verse three, God said to him, cast it on the ground. And he cast it on the ground and it became a serpent. And my favorite part, and Moses fled from before it. That's one of those things when I get to heaven, I'm going to go, yeah, you didn't give us the whole story there. I want to know exactly where you went. <laughs> like, I need to know what size rock you hid behind, how far you had to get to it, and did you scream like a girl on the way? I want to know that because that's a weird word to use. I ran away. He doesn't say he cowered or anything. He ran away. I don't know how far and I don't know how many buses he had to take to get back. But the idea here is that he did not stay where the snake was. Josephus actually describes that when he threw the snake down that it rose up and it looked right at him. So I don't know if that's the case. But either way, Moses was not exactly excited about what God had asked him to do and the results that occurred. See, God says, you think it's just a rod. That's it. Nothing else. Let me show you what I can do with this thing, Moses. Let me show you what you're really carrying because it's far more than a staff. Now, the snake that it turned into, we don't know what it was. The word means a viper. So it was a poisonous snake. Now, I'm not a snake guy, but I don't think anyone casually handles a poisonous one. And that's how Moses had treated leadership back in Egypt. He had grabbed it by the head. That's how he treated leadership, you know? The whole idea of how he viewed the rod, how he viewed his leadership, grab it by the head. He Very casually, not very carefully. And what happened? Well, boy, that head bit back, didn't it? It bit back big time. But there's more to this picture for Moses. The Egyptians, Ra was the sun god, their chief deity. And his enemy or chief enemy was a god named Apep. He was a serpent deity. He was known as the Lord of chaos, the eater of souls, and the personification of all that was evil. Cue the thunder. For an Egyptian, one of the most frightening things to come across was a serpent. I'm pretty sure Moses' upbringing made him a no-snake guy too. (laughs) The last thing he wanted to see was a snake. What's the point? Listen, leadership and ministry is a great privilege. When God calls you to do something, it's a great privilege. But it's also a great danger. In James chapter 3, verses 1, and then just the beginning of verse 2, the writer James, he was a senior pastor himself. And he says these words. He says, My brethren, be not many masters or teachers or instructors, knowing that we shall receive the stricter judgment. For in many things we offend all. 
Here's the reality is that we are flawed people. And when you do take a step out to lead people, there is the danger that you're going to mess up. And as a result, you're going to hurt people. And God's not asking for someone to step into that role and be perfect. I am far from it, and I don't know any pastor that's ever been perfect, okay? Or any leader that's ever been perfect. But the idea that James is saying that, he doesn't say don't be one. He says, approach it very humbly. Let there not be many of you striving for that. Because if it's not approached humbly, it will poison a person. See, the lure of power, it is hard to resist if someone doesn't stay on their face before God. The reality that you're sharing words with people that they're leaning on and thinking, I want to hear from the Lord. That's a humbling thing. Now, maybe you're saying, that's exactly why I'm not the one God should use. That snake is scary and I want no part of it. But God, he's got other people to do his work. I belong on the Moses getaway train. Verse four, that's not how the Lord thought. Moses fled. I don't know how long it took him to get back or where he went, but the Lord called him back and said, when he came back, said to Moses, put forth your hand and take it, not by the head, but by the tail. And he put forth his hand and he caught it and it became a rod in his hand. Now, the first thing we need to understand is that God didn't show him the snake so he could run. He didn't show it to him to scare him. What he wanted to do is show him what a powerful tool he already had if this time he grabbed it the right way. It was interesting. I, when I was in high school, I played baseball. And, you know, my life was spent out on a baseball field. School, baseball, bed. Homework, bed. School, well, not always homework, and that's why my grades weren't great. School, baseball, you know, maybe homework, bed. Well, we had this one guy, and I didn't drive till much later, and so I needed to be picked up because I had many other siblings that needed to be places too. And and there was this guy, Mike. We'll just call him Mike. And Mike was different. I remember one time we were driving, and we're on our way to a game. And uh, he says, uh, hey, I'm going to pull off over here. And I'm like, that's not the way to the game. And he's like, I I just just want to have some fun. And I'm like, I'm going to die. And he just pulled me into this field, this massive field. And he was just spinning the car around and everything. And I I, I was convinced I was going to die. Mike was a little crazy about other things. He just wasn't afraid of anything. And there was one time we were out on the baseball field, and... Lo and behold, this massive snake, at least from, I don't know, probably almost about the size of between the plants, maybe from that plant to right about here. Massive, huge snake, really thick too. And the only reason I knew it was out, I was an infielder, I know it was out in the outfield, is all of a sudden you see all the outfielders come running and screaming. Except Mike. Mike goes down there and he reaches down and he picks the thing by the tail and he starts doing this. Boom, boom, boom. Now, we're all watching this, and we're like, Mike's crazy. By the time he was done with it, that snake was dead. Dead. It's one of the weirdest things I ever saw in my life. So you've never heard that story at a church before. (laughs) My point, he grabbed it by the tail. It's not dangerous on the tail. Like a snake, ministry or leadership can be scary. And if you grab it by the head and your pride and think, I can wrestle this thing down, you're going to fail. You're going to step in it. But if I have the right mindset toward ministry, the right mindset toward ministry, it turns that which is dangerous into the very thing that proves your calling. He picked that up, and what did it do? Right back into a rod again. God had given Moses so many tools to lead the people of Israel through his experiences leading sheep. And if he retained that servant's attitude, this staff would be used to lead people 
instead of sheep. Have you ever thought how funny it looked for the leader of a nation to walk around with a shepherd's crook all day? I mean, really think about it. Here comes Moses in. What's up, Pharaoh? Let my people go. And Pharaoh's got to be thinking, who are you? And, and then everywhere he goes, he's got a shepherd's crook. We don't do that. Leaders are dignified. They dress all nice and they speak, you know, they handle themselves in a dignified way. But Moses had that thing wherever he went. What a contrast to the man in royal clothes who slew an Egyptian with his bare hands. And yet Moses performed the Red Sea parting with it, didn't he? He brought water from the rock and he did countless other miracles with that simple shepherd's staff that God gave him. God equips who he calls, but you got to stay humble. Humility works both ways. You can't use your own inability as an excuse because you'll never have what it takes to succeed. You're right. You don't ever have what it takes to succeed, but God is the one who equips you. And the second you and I think we do have what it takes, we've ceased to be his servant and we are building our own kingdom. Do you realize that God is preparing you for what he's called you to in ways you don't even know about yet? I've had so many situations that I've come up to and I thought, huh, wow, Lord, you prepared me for that many years ago through this circumstance or this trial or this experience that I've had to be able to speak into this person's life right now. Well, God had other things. God planned for Moses to show three miracles he'd used to convince Israel that God had called him. And so God shares the other two now. He says that they may believe, verse 5, that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared unto you. And the Lord said, furthermore, unto him, put now your hand into your bosom. That would be the, the open, they would wear those robes and they would cross over. And this would be the open flap at the top here by the heart, by the chest or the lap. And so he says, put your hand into that place. And so he put his hand into his bosom and it says, or, and he put his hand into his bosom. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous, white and flaky and decayed as snow. I mean, he pulled it out and it was leprosy. The word, and then it says, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous as snow. The word behold means the result shocked Moses. He put his hand in and when he pulled it out, obviously, you know, that's not what I expected. And yet he didn't run. I guess you can't run from your hand, but he didn't run. And from his overall reaction, it appears snakes frightened him more than leprosy. Verse seven, God told him, put your hand into your bosom again. He put his hand into, inside the robe again, and when he plucked it out of his bosom, behold, it was turned again as his other flesh. And it shall come to pass, if they will not believe you, neither hearken to the voice of the first sign, that they will believe the voice of the latter sign. And if it come to pass, if they will not believe also these two signs, neither hearken unto your voice, that you shall take of the water of the river and pour it upon the dry land, and the water which you shall take out of the river shall become blood upon the dry land. Now, that would have been very interesting for the Jewish people to see because remember earlier when we talked about Pharaoh's daughter going down to the river for a bath, it was not just a bath, it was like a ceremonial cleansing. They actually worshiped the river as a deity. And can you imagine, what's the symbolism of him dumping out the water and having it turn into blood? My God bigger than your God. That's what it is. <laughs> My God killed your God. In fact, when you look at each and every one of the plagues, they all correspond to one of the major deities of Egypt. When you look at, actually, God tells Moses, he says, I'm going to destroy the deities of Egypt. And every one of those plagues is God showing, you ain't nothing on me. <laughs> you are no God at all. I'm the one who controls these things, not you. 
Now, I find it fascinating that it mentions here that they'll listen to the voice of the miracle. That's interesting. Because here's what God's saying to Moses. Moses, you're right. If I just sent you in of yourself, they wouldn't listen to you. But you're not going to be the only one speaking to them. See, when they go home that night, and when they think about it, I'm going to be speaking to them. I'm going to be confirming the things that I had you tell them. And they'll know that I've sent you. You know, we've all probably thought, I wish God would do a miracle like that to prove he's speaking for me. (laughs) But that's not even really what's going on here. These three miracles weren't for Moses' sake. They were for those he'd be leading. And if you stop thinking of all the reasons why God can't use you for just a moment, what miracles has God already done in your life that could touch those he's calling you to serve? More often than not, others will see them where you can't. So quit worrying about the results and just obey the Lord. Well, this too should have ended the conversation, but verse 10, Moses has another excuse. Moses said unto the Lord, Oh, my Lord. He thought, instead of starting with but this time, I'll butter him up. Oh, my Lord. But then he'll say no. (laughs) I am not eloquent, neither heretofore nor since you have spoken unto your servant. But I am slow of speech and of a slow tongue. (laughs) Moses claims an eloquence, which we read this right there, and it's not true. That was pretty eloquent. I am not eloquent, oh my Lord. I mean, he's obviously can talk. But what he says here, when he says eloquent, he goes, I'm not a man of words. Neither heretofore or before today, he says, nor since you have spoken unto your servants. So I'm not a man of words. I've never been, and I'm not miraculously now since you've showed up. There's the implied still here. You know, I'm still not who you've made me out to be. You say you've called me. Okay, the miracles, they're really nice, God. I mean, good job. I can tell you really put a lot of effort into that. But you've still got a problem. I'm the same me that saw the bush and walked over here. So unless you've got some plan up your sleeve to radically change the person that's standing here in front of you with all the baggage I got, it's not going to work. Now, some deduce that Moses developed a speech impediment over the years of working with sheep. His speech was bad. (laughs) The words slow and heavy, the word slow means heavy, which was sometimes used to describe someone who stammered over his words. That's possible. It's also possible that after 40 years of not speaking Egyptian, it's very unlikely they spoke Egyptian among the Midianites. So it's very possible after 40 years of not speaking Egyptian, he felt his grasp of the language simplistic and crude, inadequate to approach a pharaoh. But you know what? Acts chapter 7 verse 22 makes me think about this in a little bit of a different way. So would you turn to Acts 7 with me? I know we've referenced this a few times in Moses' life. I remember the first time I read this and I did one of those kind of, huh, what's going on here? Acts 7 22 says, and Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in what? Huh, what's that all about? It makes me think that this may be going a little bit differently than just a speech impediment or a lack of having spoken Egyptian lately. The word mighty, mighty in words, it means to be able to do something or excel in something. See, Moses, he had been not just someone who could speak, he was someone who excelled in his speech. He was an excellent orator. And Moses tells God he was never a man of words. I don't know any other way to respond to his claim than to say it's a lie. I don't know any other way to approach it. But here's the problem with that too. I can't imagine Moses openly lying to God's face as the bush is burning right there. Is it possible that Moses is saying something else? 
You know, Moses claims not to be a man of words. In verse 12, back here in Exodus 4, uh, not verse 12, verse 11, God says unto him, he responds to this objection or this excuse, and he says, who has made man's mouth? Or who makes the dumb or the deaf or the seeing or the blind? Have not I the Lord? That phrase, who makes man's mouth, again, is not a good translation. It should say, who's the one that places words in man's mouth? Now, when you couple that with the Jewish understanding of what these deaf and dumb and and not being able to see and blind and refers to, they believe these words referred to a sense of someone hardening their heart. They speak here now of the hardening condition of men who refuse to obey the Lord. That not, it doesn't refer to physical deafness or physical dumbness or physical blindness. In fact, if you look at these words in an Englishman's concordance and you look at how they're used all throughout the rest of the Old Testament, you see that most of the time they're used in the spiritual sense and not in the physical sense. What are you saying, Will? I don't think Moses is saying he's got a speech problem. I think he's saying, God, nobody listened to me back then. And I see no reason to think they'll listen to me since you showed up. The words that I spoke last time, yeah, they didn't work. And I don't think any, I'm going to be able to come up with any new words that are going to work this time either. We'll get to God's response in a moment. But maybe you have stepped out in faith in the past to serve God, but it didn't go so well. Maybe like Moses, you you jumped on a little bit too early or you're a little prideful and kind of did it your way and, and it didn't work out so well. You know, in Moses' case, I think that failure looms so large throughout this whole event with the burning bush. You wonder at some point in time why God's going to say, quit beating around the bush. (laughs) Maybe in your own life, your own past failure looms really large too. Listen, it doesn't invalidate what God has called you to do. In Romans 11, verse 29, it says that the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. God doesn't change his mind. He doesn't all of a sudden go, yeah, you know what? You didn't do a very good job. I'm... You're right, you know, I just haven't called you anymore. (laughs) Don't let past failures be your current excuse because God will teach you to do it the right way this time. Pride has a funny way of skewing our vision of ministry. The point of being of service is not our own talents or our own abilities. It is being obedient to the God who has called us and saying, Lord, if you have called me to this, you will see me through the work. There is nothing you can't do through me and with me. This is true humility. Join us tomorrow as we continue to see God and Moses' interactions in the book of Exodus. Should you have questions about anything or would like prayer concerning today's message or for anything at all, please reach out to us. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word.